Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, everybody. This is Joe Lynch from the Logistics of Logistics. Welcome to my podcast, and I'm very excited to talk to my good friend and partner in crime, Ann Holm, today. Welcome, Ann. Hi, glad to be back. Always great to have Ann on the show. And today's topic is the number one killer of sales with Ann Holm. Before we get into the topic, if you haven't been listening to my podcast, you haven't heard Ann. Ann is somebody I work very closely with. She was my executive coach many years ago. I'm thinking like eight. It's been a long time. You've been a wonderful coach for me and still is my coach. We just met the other day. You know, you sometimes run across these jams that you just, you can probably plow through it and you would, but Anne provides the shortcuts. And I don't mean it gets easier, but she sees the things that you wouldn't. She's got a great background. So many people say coach, consultant, trainer interchangeably, but there's some differences. So Anne, talk about those differences. And then while you're talking about that, talk a little bit about your background in brain science. Certainly. Yeah, that's a lot to cover here. So yesterday we talked, ironically, we'll be talking about a particular topic today that we talked about just yesterday in relation to you. The value of working with a coach is not for that individual to be an advisor or dispense advice, but to help you get at the root of why you want to do something why or how you're going to go about accomplishing it, what's going to motivate you, what might be standing in your way. So it's about having a conversation. So there's lots of different roles that people can play in your success. You can have consultants come in and advise you at what you need to do, and they play a really important role. There's trainers that come in and train a particular set of behaviors or protocols for a company. You have that too. The difference is, is when you're coaching, you really are trying to tap into your inner wisdom or create some self-awareness because it's in that self-awareness that you're able to move forward what you want to accomplish. So it's kind of a unique field in that way. And then you also mentioned my background in brain science. Yes, I did work for 25 years in brain science. I actually worked with brain injured people. It was a therapy role, but it was also a role in which you were kind of doing some coaching too, because you were trying to create self-awareness with these clients so that they can move forward with whatever they needed to do or accomplish. So it laid the foundation for how I'm able to help others. I really try to understand how that individual ticks and help them decipher what will make them move forward. Yep. Could you talk briefly about Myers-Briggs too? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I use when I work with somebody, if they're interested in that, I use the Myers-Briggs personality assessment. And I also use another assessment that is similar to that called Type Coach. And what that's really getting at is the idea of what are your default modes and how do those contribute to how you operate? Our personalities are, of course, quite complex. So it's not just about that but it's a good place to start to understand how you operate. And then in particular, by the way, type coach is what we use with our salespeople because it really helps individuals understand their personality in the context of sales, which is really what the kind of self-awareness we're trying to achieve 
for our clients is how are you operating in the sphere of sales? Exactly. Again, today's topic, Anne, is the number one killer of sales with Ann Holmes. So we'll get into that. I think, Anne, most people are listening and thinking it's a plaid jacket. That's the number one cause <laughs> of, of dead sales. It's got to be the plaid jacket. And if it's not plaid jackets, it's using the word synergy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Or being too pesky. <laughs> In our business and in the transportation logistics business, everybody uses the word transparency or visibility. And those are important, important words, as is synergy. But what ends up happening was everybody says it. It just becomes like, oh, stop it. But yeah. anyway, none of those are actually the number one killer of sales. And what is the number one killer of sales? The number one killer of sales is also the number one killer of a lot of things. And it's procrastination. Procrastination is really powerful when it comes to killing sales. Lethal. I know you're probably right. First off, define procrastination. I know we all know what it is, but give us the brain scientist view of what is procrastination. Well, procrastination shows up in a lot of different ways. Essentially, it all boils down to doing things that are either counterproductive or distract you from or take you away from the goals or tasks that you need to accomplish. It's all of the behaviors that we do to put something off. It may be that we're afraid of success, and so we don't do something because, boy, what if that deal comes through and now I have to fulfill it? It might be a fear of failure. What if I get rejected in a sales context? But effectively, it's all the things that we do to keep from doing what we actually need to do. So, Anne, is there usually like an emotional component to that? You just advised me on a problem I was having where I felt like I was procrastinating, but also other things kept getting in the way. And I know it's a big project for me. So I kept thinking, is there something I'm afraid of on the other side of this? Is there that emotional component to this? Yes, there's actually several components. I'll just kind of go through a few of them. One of those is that there can be a fear of failure. What if I put this all together and nobody's interested in purchasing it? What if I put this all together and it's subject to a great deal of criticism from my coworkers, from maybe my customer or somebody that is somebody I report to? There can be all of those kinds of emotions, fear of failure, fear of criticism, it can be also, I mentioned a little earlier, fear of success, this idea that, gosh, now I have to fulfill what I just landed as a deal. And so sometimes you're concerned that will you be up to the task if you actually land the deal? And then there's people that just want the thrill of doing something at the last minute. So there's almost a dopamine component to this, dopamine being the chemical you get when you are pleasure-seeking, fired up about something, maybe a little adrenaline is involved. There's procrastination that has to do with just waiting for that sort of thrill-seeking moment of, oh, now I'm going to get this done, the feet to the fire and all that. That's where we all get creative, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And honestly, I'm not discounting that the thrill of the last minute can be useful. I think there's ample evidence that it can be but it can also be one of the big things that creates procrastination too. So you got to really start to become aware of 
how far can you really procrastinate before you have to turn up the burners? And I remember many years ago uh, when I still worked in automotive, I was on a product team and we were launching a new product, new car. You have these milestones that you have to complete the design, complete the tooling. Each one of those has like a visit to the top of the house. So you got to go see the president and the vice presidents. There are thousands of people who have to get their stuff together to make those things happen. And I remember one time after we had had this enormous presentation and the vice president walked into the room, there's probably a hundred of us. And he said, okay, we did it again. We pulled it off at the last minute. Please tell me, why do we always wait to the last minute? <laughs> and it's funny because there was silence in the room. And then finally, somebody said, that's what we learned in college. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> there is a feel good moment when you pull the rabbit out of the hat. There's a very reinforcing component to that last minute rush and you pull it off. That's sort of the separate payoff. Yeah, yeah. we don't want to encourage any of that. And let's talk yeah. about what procrastination looks like in sales. I'll give you one example myself sure. and maybe you can jump from that. We all know we need to develop new sales leads. So I need to do some inbound marketing or inbound lead gen and some outbound. I need, might make some phone calls. Talk about how procrastination gets in the way. Okay. Many, many ways procrastination can get in the way when you're trying to do the lead gen piece of this. One of those is it may be just a task that is unpleasant to do because you have to put yourself out there. So there might be a fear of rejection kind of a thing. That's one way. Another way, this inbound lead part, you might find that you can't decide how you're going to actually get these leads. And so you peck around and experiment with one and peck around and experiment with another way of getting leads. And before you know it, you've pretty much sampled the banquet of possibilities for generating leads, but you actually haven't made a decision about what you're actually going to do. There's a thing in psychology that's known as decisional procrastination, because once you decide how are you going to get your leads, now you have to follow through. You're responsible for that decision. So that's another way, you know, just peck, peck, peck. Right. Make some calls. Should I network? Should I this? Should I that? And you just sample all those little pieces, but you don't actually make a decision and you don't lock yourself into something. That kind of decisional procrastination can really stand in the way of lead generation. Right. And so, and one thing I think about when we talk about lead gen is if I was to say, I'm going to make 50 phone calls this morning and then that's going to get me three or four good opportunities to work on because I've done a lot of good research and I've got this great message. Mm -hmm. Now, when I make those phone calls, I'm hoping to get three or four opportunities, but there's a chance I get nothing. Yes. And, and that's, I think, where the emotional piece comes because I've just read this not so long ago. Somebody said something along the lines of, if you knew you couldn't fail, if you knew there was no way that you would not mm -hmm. get those leads, you probably wouldn't delay. It's the same as you're going to ask that gal out I'm going to ask that guy out and you wait and you wait and you wait. But if you knew, hey, the love of my life is just dying to say yes, you wouldn't delay. Yes, that's very true. Unless you're afraid of what happens once you do catch the love of your life. Now what? Oh, yeah. Don't find out who I really am. Well, yeah. Or I get that lead. Now I have to actually produce what I have proposed to that lead. And this is where really the self-awareness piece comes in. 
is, am I afraid of the failure? Am I afraid of the success? It's not just one thing. And I've gone through this in the past where I might find a new shipper and they give me their pricing and we've had a good first meeting. And now I've got to go beat the pricing they currently have. That's the only way I'm going to win that business. They have good pricing. And as you go a little further, you start to realize I might not be able to win that pricing. But on the other hand, I've already kind of halfway been thinking about how much I'm going to make on this deal. So I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I buy a new car, maybe go on vacation. I pay this off, pay that off. I'm already halfway there on one part of my brain. And then the other part of my brain saying, yeah, but as soon as we do the actual analysis, as soon as the real pricing comes in, we're not going to win this. So it feels like that's another place where I don't want to pull back the curtain and find out what's really there. Right, exactly. So you just kind of avoid it because the reality of it may not be exactly as you want it to be, or you're afraid whether you can handle the reality. And the fact of the matter is, if you wait a few weeks, it just gets better. We all know that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It never gets better. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Now we've talked about, again, procrastination, every step in the sales process. For sure, lead gen, it's hard to make phone calls. It's hard to focus yourself. So what we've been to is, I'm going to work on that. HR asked me to fill this out. I have Mm. to pay a few bills online. I have all these very important priorities Mm -hmm. somehow pile in on top of my top priority. And that's one way. So I'm not as if I'm just goofing around. I'm not doing fantasy football that day. I've found a whole bunch of very important things that have to get done today in front of my top priority. Yeah. And actually, procrastination has a couple of brothers or the crowd that procrastination runs with. One of them is distraction. So finding things that will take our attention away from what we need to do. And the other one is rationalization, which can be the strongest brother of them all because that is what we tell ourselves when we're not getting something done. Like, I just couldn't get to it because I had to fill this out for HR. I had to do this. I had to do that. So one of the things I often will say in coaching is, well, let's just say this is something you had to do. Like, let's say you're diabetic and five times a day, you got to measure your blood sugar or else you really have some serious consequences. You'd find the time to do it because it would rise straight up to the top of the priority list and there would be no way to skirt around it. Likewise, when you're starting to look at your tasks and your priorities and you're procrastinating, it's important to watch out for that rationalization component. Well, I just couldn't get to it because I had this, that, and the other thing. And so in coaching, the question might be, what's standing in the way examine that priority versus the one you say that you really want to do. And what do you think is at play here? Yep. And there's this tag team, procrastination, distraction, and rationalization. They have taken down everybody. I guarantee everybody listening will say, yeah, I procrastinated on this or that. I don't think anybody among us doesn't have that piece of us. We all know this tag team, these brothers, these, these killers. So yes. Let's talk about strategies for getting around these horrible monsters. Yeah, you got to slay them. I have several strategies that people can start to experiment with. The first one is called worst first. Worst first is the commitment that you're going to address 
this priority, whatever it is that you want to accomplish, the very first thing that you do. So if there's a worst part of this thing that you need to do, address that first. When you get up in the morning, typically your brain energy is at its highest. It may be you have to have a cup of coffee first or whatever, but generally speaking, when you wake up, you've been sleeping, you're refreshed, your brain energy is at a pretty high level. So you have a lot of bandwidth and energy to address something that is the worst of whatever it is that you need to do, the worst piece of it. If you put it off and put it off and then you get to the end of your day and you're tired and you've been making decisions and addressing things all day long, you may not have the energy and the bandwidth to do it. And for sure, you won't be able to do it as well as if you could if you had a fresh brain. So that kind of fuels the procrastination loop because then you say, ah, I can't do that. I'm too tired to do that. It kind of keeps going. Committing to do the worst first often can break the procrastination cycle. Right. And you've said something to me many times along the way is it's not about time management. It's about energy management. Yes. And you need to, you got to take that worst first because during the day, using that, what is that part of the brain that is the executive part? Prefrontal cortex. Yep. That's what separates us from the apes. That wears you out. You're using that all day to make those decisions. And I don't have the energy. So you might have a whole bunch of things to do. Let's just say you go, oh, I need to make this phone call. It's five minutes. This phone call is 10 minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. You might say, yeah, this should be no problem. I get all these things done in an hour. But if those are really difficult phone calls, a lot of times they don't happen. We might have the time. We don't have the energy. So I love Mm -hmm. this one. It's huge. And I want to also throw this piece into that. When a person wakes up, one of the first things that we often do is we check our phones. We start looking at maybe articles or Twitter or maybe email or whatever, and we're really losing the strongest part of our brain and bandwidth by way of even doing something like that. Now, that being said, I'm not necessarily saying to somebody, oh, well, don't ever look at your phone when you wake up and start looking at your email or whatever. I'm not saying that, but I am saying start to develop an awareness around whether or not you are procrastinating by way of doing that, and you're losing your best thinking time by doing that. Pay attention and really be honest with yourself. And there's another aspect of that is if you have a a difficult task to get done and you wait all day, that drags your energy down. You keep looking at it, you're embarrassed because you know that you're not addressing your top priority. You're putting other things in front of it. If you go in and bravely attack that beast, especially if you have a good outcome, Now you're walking on clouds the rest of the day. You're pumped. And even if it goes badly, at least you're like, yep, I had the wherewithal to get in here and get it done. Right. And the other thing, if you can imagine your brain as a stove and you've got the gas coming into the stove for the different burners, if you are putting something on the back burner by way of procrastinating, some of your energy is actually being diverted all day long to that back burner thing. You're right. You can feel when you're doing it. It's like a cloud over you. It really is. It really is. And then you got to be careful about the rationalization component, the idea of it's on the back burner. It's there for a reason because, you know, I just don't know or whatever. And it stays there and it drains you and it shows up again the next morning. Believe it or not, it doesn't go away. We'll get right back to the podcast in just a moment. 
If you sell transportation or logistics services, the Logistics of Logistics can help you sell more. Our customized program will help you understand your sales personality, including your strengths and blind spots, get more sales leads, and improve your communication and salesmanship. We can also position you as a recognized industry expert and help you reach your target audience. To learn more, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And now, back to the show. So what's another strategy we can use to kill these triple twins of evil? These triplets, yes. You know what? Actually, I love the image of tag team because that's exactly what it is. The procrastination tag teams off to the rationalizer, the rationalizer tax teams off to the distractor. It's exactly that. It's a tag team. They are tough. Yes, it is. So what's the next one? The next one is mini milestones. What that means is that some projects are really huge, right? Some projects are huge. Generating leads is actually really huge because there's lots of different ways to generate leads. It's an ongoing thing. So setting a mini milestone like I'm going to do 15 calls or I'm going to do some part of some of the tasks so that you're just working on that one part and agreeing that you're going to do that one part. Yesterday, you were talking about a project you were doing and you said, all right, I'll agree to doing one, two, and three tomorrow, three of these things. And those are mini milestones. And then you can say, okay, now that's done. So mini milestones can really be helpful. Yeah. And, and sometimes when you chop it down to just mini milestones, and I like to do this a lot, is I'll say, all I need to do is this, and I need to get that done in the next 15 minutes. When I'm writing an article, sometimes I'll just say, I'm not writing something for 2,500 words. All I'm going to do is I'm sitting down and I got to write 100 words in the next half hour. That's it. And what's funny is once you get into it, the monster gets smaller. And then what ends up happening is, you know, you got 200 words and you said, oh, I, once I got into it, it wasn't that bad. But it takes you a week to, to, to drag yourself to the desk. Exactly. So what's another strategy for beating procrastination, distraction and rationalization? OK, so I call it the cone of silence. I might change that to slaying the distraction, brother. This idea of creating a space where you have no other place to go other than what you need to do. When we were chatting, you and I, earlier today, I used to, <laughs> I used to tape myself to the chair when I had papers to do when I was in college because I could find distractions to keep me from doing what I needed to do. So I literally would have to clear my desk. And this is well before the age of cell phones. You know, nowadays for people who have cell phones in this era, you would want to get the cell phone out of the room. But finding some way to eliminate as many distractions as possible, even putting something on your door so somebody can't come in and interrupt you, whatever that is, you want to create this cone of silence so you have only that thing you need to do and it creates that focus and it does not allow distractions to creep in and take you off task. This idea of eliminating distractions is very powerful as far as addressing procrastination. Yep. And, you know, I know some offices, especially in engineering where I used to work, talked about let's have a chunk of the day in the morning where we don't interrupt each other. We don't walk in and go, hey, did you see that game last night? <laughs> yep. <laughs> or, you know, all those important things that we get asked for. And just sometimes somebody works for two hours and then they're done working and they're like, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go see Ann. 
And you go, hey, Anne, what's up? And you might be right in the middle of something. And so you need to have some agreements with your coworkers. Maybe it makes sense. And I think also so many of us work from home. Yes. I think I can say this from my own perspective. There's a lot of things that can distract you at your house where you go, I can't work in this messy house. I have to do this cleaning before I can sit down. So sometimes there's a little bit of a a routine that I get in, which is say, all right, I'm going to clean the house for the next 15 minutes. And then when I sit down, I'll be able to focus because I Mm -hmm. won't be distracted by the look of my home. Yeah. And the key, of course, is to know whether or not you're actually procrastinating or if it's really essential that you remove certain distractions. This is really about developing your self-awareness. I love it. So, Anne, what's the next strategy? The next one is called time boxing. And it sounds like a great term when you've got these fighting brothers of distraction, procrastination, and rationalization. So I love the idea of this time boxing. But you want to put in set periods of time that you're going to work on something. So one of the ways that you do that, you say, you know, 30 minutes, I'm going to work on this, or 40 minutes, I'm going to do these tasks. It's not about looking at quality at this point. You can look at the quality piece of it later. But for instance, let's say you're writing a proposal and you are going to work on it for 25 minutes and then you start editing every other word and all of that. Well, then now you're getting yourself into the position where you're starting to fear of failure. So procrastination starts to kick in. This idea of time boxing is just a pure output commitment. I'm going to work for 30 minutes and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. You mentioned, Joe, that when you write blogs, sometimes it's, I'm not getting out of this chair or I'm, I'm going to work on this for 25 minutes or I'm going to work till I get 300 words. It's that same idea. And you're not going to let yourself get caught up in procrastination because you're afraid it may not be right or whatever. It's just that time commitment is what you're looking for. And then I think, again, it, there's also some strength that comes with it. You know, there's a mm-hmm. sense that I sat down this morning at nine o'clock and I pumped this out. I made those six difficult phone calls. I sent the email that I dreaded. Boy, do you have a sense of I won today. <laughs> Even yeah, yeah. if you didn't win the deals. That's right. Exactly. You haven't wasted the time putting that procrastination task on the back burner and created this diversion in your head. And, and perhaps it even serves to prove to you that you're not up to the task. And it really ha- can have many outcomes uh, if it's not addressed. I mean, kind of the first battle we have to win is in our heads, right? Exactly, exactly. So you gave us a few strategies here. You said worst first, then you said many milestones, then the cone of silence and time boxing. Do you have any more? Yeah, I do. I actually, I have two more. One of them is just a a reminder to let people know that it's okay to do some daydreaming and to do some putzing and the things like that. Procrastination is not inherently bad across the board all the time. People become more creative, for instance, when they get up and take a walk or they meditate or even if they thumb through a magazine, the brain gets a rest. And sometimes when the brain gets a rest, it becomes more creative again. But this is again where the self-awareness piece comes in and you start to ask yourself, am I procrastinating? Am I rationalizing what I'm doing? Am I refreshing my brain? Really, really having a hard conversation with yourself because the funny thing about procrastination is Across the board, it's not awful. Sometimes your brain truly does need a rest, but you have to ask yourself all those important questions leading up to it. 
Right. And you and I had a laugh about this whole term self-care earlier today. I think to your point, you've told me, hey, sometimes throw on your shoes and go for a walk, get some blood pumping, come back and tackle that. And I agree, right? Meditate for 10 minutes and go back at it. Self-care is something that makes you better, makes you healthier, ready to fight, ready to get back in the battle. But self-care where it becomes like, well, yeah, I need self-care. So I went on Facebook and argued with my brother-in-law for 30 minutes. <laughs> that isn't self-care. Going out and getting drunk. I told you when I was young, I had this thought that sometimes, yeah, we go getting drunk with my buddies. And then in the morning, all those negative things that were in my head will be gone. Well, and everything else, right? Probably the only thing that was gone is brain cells. Brain cells were gone and capability was gone. That was it. You do need some divergence. You do need to rest your brain. You do need to do some things that'll allow your brain to make new connections and become more creative. You just want to be very careful about making sure you're fully aware of what you're doing and that it's actually beneficial to how you show up in general. Uh, of course. So what's the last one, And Tell us the last strategy. So the last strategy is this idea of partnering with somebody, having an accountability partner. Now, oftentimes a coach, that's actually one of the biggest roles a coach can have is to be an accountability partner. But it could be somebody that you work with. It could be a friend. It could be anybody who's going to help you stay on task, cut through the BS, uh, whether or not you're rationalizing, procrastinating, or whatever. I have been known to also use a strategy I call the vile disincentive. Joe, why don't you tell me or tell the audience about our vile disincentive we came up with? Right. Anne has been helping me kind of get over this hump on this project. And it's a big project for me. So I was telling Anne, I keep saying this is my top priority, but I've been traveling a lot. So that gets in the way, of course. And then just had some personal stuff I had to jump in on. All of it's completely justified, of course. But then, you know, a month goes by and I don't have that much progress on some of this. And I stalled. So I'm talking to Anne and she gave me some very good advice and then kind of left it. The final thing was, after we talked about some of these strategies and some other stuff, was this vile disincentive. So I'm a huge Michigan football fan. I've always been a Michigan football fan. And anybody who follows football knows the Buckeyes have had such a good run not just against Michigan, just in general, they've done fantastic. And so they're my team's biggest rival. So Anne had said, I have to start posting Buckeye, good Buckeye things on my Facebook feed to all my friends and family who know I don't like Ohio State. <laughs> so, And I will also say this, I really do respect Ohio State. I love Urban Meyer. I have to give them credit. They have won. They are just a fantastic program right now. But I really don't want to be part of that program. I'm a Michigan grad. I went there. I went to Michigan because I was a Michigan football fan, not because I care about Michigan, the college or university. So anyway, that's a great vile disincentive. And I remember somebody agreeing to write a check, a big check, like a thousand dollar check to an organization he hated if he didn't run this marathon and lose a hundred pounds in the process. And I was thinking, yeah, that's a pretty vile disincentive. You got to write a big check to somebody you really don't like. So that accountability partner really is helpful because so many of us, I'm, I'm one of them, I work a lot by myself. If you have a boss right there, right on top of you saying, you will do this and you will do that, it's almost easier sometimes because you don't have to have self-discipline. The boss has discipline. You don't have to. And more and more, if you're a professional, you have to bring that discipline and that focus by yourself. That can be tough. So finding a, an accountability partner 
to help you stay on task and to get done what you truly feel like you want to get done. And then if you want to have a little fun with it, you throw in the vile disincentive. It it can be really pretty funny. You know, it kind of takes some of the pressure off in a funny way to say, well, you know, then you're just going to do this awful thing, have a few laughs about it. And that seems to loosen the energy up too. That's another strategy to break up procrastination. And photoshopped a picture of me wearing Ohio State stuff and sent it to me. So it's on my desk. (laughs) So that's a a reminder of what the top priority is. So, and let's summarize this. So you talked about some strategies for beating procrastination, distraction, and rationalization, the triple threat. You talked about doing the worst first, which is getting in while you're still strong and still got all your energy. Pick your worst topic, your worst, I mean, worst uh, project or your most important project and get going. Number two, you talked about mini milestones. Three, you talked about cone of silence. Then you talked about time boxing. You talked about okay to screw around a little bit, a little bit. I think you don't mean so much screwing around is there is some positive ways to refocus yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's some negative. You don't want to be saying I was fighting with my brother-in-law on Facebook about politics. That's not a useful way to go dragging your energy down. And then the last but not least, you said file disincentive. Get an accountability partner. If you don't have a boss who's going to make you do exactly what you say you want done, get maybe your coworker or your friend or your spouse to help you. That's right. Or a coach like Ann. <laughs> or a coach, exactly. Lots of options. So Ann, why don't you summarize this for us and then we'll wrap this thing up. Yeah. So it was great to talk about a topic I think that's useful to everybody. This idea of how do you get something done when you can't seem to get it done? And what are the implications for it? We talked about it really from the perspective of sales. I think the most important takeaway, if I was going to sum it up, is to really pay attention. Develop a self-awareness about what you're actually doing. Think of those three brothers standing over you waiting to derail you. Are any of them at play right now? And if they are, use one of those strategies to see if you might knock one of them out. Because honestly, they work almost like a tag team. They work in tandem. If you can even knock one of those guys out of the picture, you're going to be really far ahead in terms of slaying this sales killer. Yep. This I think everybody can relate to. We all have these problems. So this is great stuff. I'll wrap it up by saying Ann and I work together with a lot of clients. We have a program called 21st Century Sales Skills for Transportation and Logistics Professionals. So If you are in the sales role and you are struggling or if you just want to get to that next level, whatever that looks like, we can help. Please reach out. We're always interested. And I will say this. My clients do love working with Ann because she brings something beyond the tired platitudes. She's bringing actual science to this party. Our whole program, that's kind of our thought process. I'm not going to say, hey, it's a numbers game. I I hate some of those cliches. Always be closing. Some of those things are outdated and silly. Mm -hmm. When you're working with Anne, you don't get any of that nonsense. Thanks again, Anne. All right. Until next time, onward and upward. All right, everybody. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 